Marxism is everywhere. It is all around us. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when others are too afraid to speak their mind. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. I offer you a choice, a choice between two worlds. Take the blue pill and continue living in the world of complacency and indifference. Or take the red pill. Join us in a world where patriots come together to fight for freedom. What the elites don't want you to know is that there are 200,000 open committee man seats in the Republican Party. These party members are the ones who determine the future of the GOP. The precinct strategy will teach you what it takes to help elect America First candidates who share your love of country and a vision for a better America. Will you take the blue pill and continue living in a world where a corrupt few control everything? Or will you take the red pill and join us? Let's take our country back, one precinct at a time. Choose wisely. Your future depends on it. PrecinctStrategy.com now. Welcome back. It's another episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here again to present some new ideas and work through things with you. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're eating well, taking your walks, working on your well-being, working on your self-governance. It's all about self-governance. That's why we lead with the PrecinctStrategy.com advertisement spot it's a spot that was going to be all over media and it really brings forward a very simple idea we self-govern when we actually self-govern if we abdicate our self-governance we hand over our power to the likes of people that might turn out to be evil now the system is not intended to necessarily go black go evil go dark it's it's not it really, there's a social compact between the, um, the people and their representatives. And if we were you know, living in a uh, moral and just country, uh, we could sit back and elect people and they would uh, represent us in a way that uh, was focused on our well-being. Unfortunately, we're not living in those kind of times. <clears throat> we're living in a time where the representatives, for whatever reason, I, you know, each one is each one of these people's got their own stories. But most of them, most of them, no, they suck. Probably if I could come up with one unifying theme, they're all educated. <laughs> they're all educated. They're all products of our post-secondary school, university and college industry where euthanasia and eugenics and... Um, transhumanism and post-colonial communist redaction of history. These things are so omnipresent in these institutions and they've crowded out all other kinds of discourse and, and philosophical ideas that, you know, these people graduate. It's not a conspiracy. It's just the way it works. I mean, it's a system. You can't get into the system unless you bow down to the system, I, I'm going to just speak very, I've talked about this before. I have a beautiful daughter. I mean, she's a supremely talented young woman. She's beautiful, great athlete, uh, 
you know, she got into into uh, Columbia. I did not want her to go to Columbia University in New York City because, in my opinion, it's kind of the eye of the dragon. I mean, Hillary Clinton teaches there. Henry Kissinger teaches there. If you go back and look at its history, you know, nothing good ever came out of Columbia for the American people. Oh, if you're an elite, it's top notch. If you're an elite, you're a globalist, place to be. And, you know, I, I talked to my daughter, and it's led to a schism in our family. I really put the, the boot down on it. I said, I'm just not paying for this. If you want to do it, hey, it's up to you. And she wants to go there, and I want to tell you why she wants to go there. She wants to get a great job. She wants to get a great job. And I told her, what kind of job is that? Well, she's thinking she might want to go to law school or she might want to go to work for a finance company like Goldman Sachs in New York. And I said, why on earth would you want to do that? But, you know, she does. And I just got to live with it. It's a bitter pill for me to swallow. She's an independent, adult American citizen. And if she wants to be in that system, there's nothing I can do about it. But as a father and as an American citizen, I have to I have to take a stand, a principled stand, against the kind of education that's being promoted at institutions like Columbia. And we have to do that as parents. Uh, we just have to. And if we don't, if we continue to believe that we have to send our kids through this private school, you know, what would you call it? A factory. A factory of creating minions. The Minion Factory. That's what we should call Harvard and Yale and Stanford. The Minion Factory. Because here's how it works. There's hundreds of thousands of students at these institutions. Almost all of them get a very innocuous education. They're what you call a diversion. They're just there because they can spend some money. Hey, they borrow some money from the federal government and they pay it back over 20 years or mom and dad have some money. They're kicking into the pot. The university doesn't care about these people. It doesn't care about them one bit. The university is there to find the excellent in math and science. That's why these institutions exist. They don't exist to teach people about ethical and moral behavior or the history of the Judeo-Christian experience, no. They're not there to teach people to think critically. They're not there to give, you know, alternative views of history. They don't do that. that. And if they do, that's just a BS story. What they're there to do is identify very bright science and math students who they can then suck up into the system, put them on the track to a Ph.D., and these are the people that, in their careers, are advancing the transhumanist, artificial intelligence, advanced biorobotic technologies that are going to end up replacing humans. These people love the earth so much, they hate humans. They hate humans. They're trying to change. Yep, getting choked up. They're trying to change the nature of what it is to be a human being. And of course they do this by, you know, working on the medical piece. Oh, we're getting sick, we've got diseases, we're gonna solve these diseases. And that's a cover story too. That is just a way to cover up their intention, which is to evolve the human species with positive eugenics, 
to change the nature of what it is to be a human, to eliminate God from the world equation as if they actually can pull that off. That's their arrogance. They just don't know God. If they knew God, they wouldn't go there. I'm talking about the general bulk of these kind of in-the-middle people that they're just secular humanists. They're scientists. They believe in the religion of scientists. They don't realize that they're being manipulated by Satanists, and the entire point of this project is to eliminate God on the earth, to eliminate God, wipe God out. I mean, this is very, very satanic. And these people go up, and then what do they end up doing? The best of them? Making weapons, figuring out how to kill people. And these eugenicists that are trying to evolve the human species, you know, they've got their bastard cousins, you know, the genocidal. And we're dealing with this. And it's getting worse and worse. It's accelerating. And the way to deal with it is don't pay for it. I'm not. I'm not paying for it. I'm making a statement. I paid for a lot of private school. I just told my daughter this past weekend if she'd choose a different university, I'd be very happy to pay for it. It's not about the money. It's about who's getting the money. And she listens to these podcasts, and she's a superstar this morning. She gets to think about this. Well, we want to thank Free People Radio for giving us a platform. It's fantastic. The channel is growing. It's growing quickly. We want to thank our sponsor, TireGet.com, 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock. Everything you need for your vehicles. And when you do buy your tires from TireGet, and I ask you to do so, you're funding the movement and getting the tires you need. And there's a lot of the TireGet thing. There's a lot of developments there that are going to come up over the next couple months that are going to make it even a better deal for the listeners and viewers of the Free People Radio product. PrecinctStrategy.com, we let off with it. We have to lead off with it because I'm encouraging you, as you well know, to get into the game of politics, to get off the bench, to make your will felt, to be part of the equation of human life. We're in a battle, right? It's a numbers game. It's just simply a numbers game. And we're getting so organized here in Minnesota that I just have to say, blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our America and our courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. I'm praying and believing I've received 
because it's a supernatural power that God has granted me. You know, when we pray, when we pray, when we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains, right? Well, I can feel in myself, I have to improve my faith. I'm hedging in there because I'm asking for so much. And I'm believing I'm receiving it. And what I'm asking for is the opportunity to serve God. And I'm terrified of this and that. And that's just wasted anxiety. You know, my faith needs to be made whole. And so does yours. So does yours. So, do, so does all of our faith. They've broken our faith community. How did they do it? Well, they did it many ways. And they did it very systematically and with great skill. How many of us in, in this age, in 2023, really know God and have faith in God? And beyond that, how many of us have seen God work in our lives? And like me, even though I see God working in my life, I still have a gap, a place where I hedge in case things don't work out. And, you know, I've been thinking about that. You know, I'm asking for things in my heart, and I'm believing I'm receiving it, and I'm afraid I'm not going to get what I'm, I'm believing in and believing that I'll receive, that little gap in there. And then there's a very simple solution to that. I don't know the plan. I just don't know it. I mean, things happen in my life. They're unexplainable. Now, I have people in my life that explain it, oh, you're the smartest person. I got a brother of mine. Love this guy. He's in California. A closer friend I do not have. Someone I love more I do not have. And I, I, um, I, I know this person so well, and I, I hold on to faith for him. Uh, he lost a child four months after the birth, and I was sitting in a car with him, and he, he said to me, I just, I just can't believe in God anymore after this. And it's just I love this person so much. I'm filled with sadness even thinking about it. And I've been holding on to his faith for 20 years. And uh, he knows I'm faithful. I mean, he knows who I am. I, knows he, I know that he listens to the podcast, so he's going to hear this. And he says to me, did you ever think that you're getting all these great things and all these fantastic things are happening because you're the smartest person? And I'm going to tell him right now, I'm not the smartest person. I'm kind of a dummy. It's happening because I've devoted my life to public service. And uh, I believe that when, when we do this, when you do this, when you make that step and move from narcissism to altruism, because I've had to do that. You know, I was born, you know, my generation. Hey, a more narcissist bunch than the boomers. You can't find it. And uh, I had to make that, that transition over time uh, from being a narcissist to an altruist. And my health's improved, and the circumstances of my life, the miracles that happen, they're miracles to me. So to my friend, you know, I'm talking about, you know, he sees intelligence, and what I see is uh, divine providence. And I guess it's perspective. I guess it's perspective. One might say I'm smart because I believe in God and I'm working on my faith. And uh, the faith part that I'm working on now is I have no idea what's in store for me. I can believe that I'm going to receive, and I could be believing that I'm going to receive something that's not in harmony with the master plan. 
And if that's the case, I have to accept whatever the circumstances of my life become because I am dedicated to public service. So however that works itself out, it's okay. It's just okay. You know, if you go back and you think historically about, for example, I'm just going to bring this up, the early Christians, I have to drink something because what I'm going to say parches my throat. The Romans put these people in the Colosseum and gave them a choice. Renounce your faith in the one true God or fight a lion. And many a Christian was lunch. And that's a horrible way to die, right? Being ripped apart by a wild animal. And they did that very specifically because in the, um, in the prayers of the ancient times, uh, you know, people were just as aware of the um, existential questions of life then as we are today. You know, everything is meaningless, right? Even man's mastery over the animals is kind of a, a, a bullshit story because if you have to go in to the Colosseum with a lion, you're not the master of that lion and you find out real quick. So it's been very easy to be faithful. Not so easy anymore. As I said this in a recent podcast, Benjamin Franklin said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, hey, there's been people calling out for prevention my entire life. and We didn't prevent anything. As we're going to go through today, we're right on the verge of losing everything. I want to say again, I saw that movie, The Song of Freedom. If you go to that movie, you'll see at the end, Jim Caviezel basically appeals to the precinct strategy to spread out the uh, movie and its message to encourage people to go see the movie. And I'm going to encourage you to go see it. Uh, it's, it's watered down in some ways. Um, someday maybe I'll tell you what I know about this uh, child and human sex trafficking and slavery thing. I know a lot about it. Um, I probably have made the comment, what I knew about it pretty much derailed me psychologically for at least 10 or 15 years, where I just was so overcome by what I'd seen and experienced uh, that I just was, uh, you know, I was functional, but boy, was I suffering. So, you know, we have a very interesting challenge with this, uh, this issue of modern slavery. The movie uh, uh, posits that there are more slaves today when slavery is universally illegal than the number of slaves that were, you know, enslaved when slavery was legal. Think about that, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it, right? There's a lot more people. We live in a fallen world where people are just, we're viewed as inventory. If you're brought up as inventory, it's not hard to view others as inventory. So if you're abused or you're, you're taken advantage of or you're in some ways horribly compromised by the circumstances of your childhood, then you're just going to see other children the same way you were seen. And that's spreading out. That's why I say the antidote to this is goodness. There's no law that's going to fit. There's no human law, human law, like a legal code 
that's going to arrest this? Yes, we have valiant uh, police people or law enforcement people like Tim Ballard that was involved in rescuing enslaved children, and a more valiant uh, pursuit in life could not be found. A more public service pursuit in life could not be found. But uh, it's really up to each one of us. You know, I find myself, I'm scrolling, I see a picture of a, you know, some lady in a bikini. I'm still looking at it. I got to quit that. Now, I know the woman's 40 years old. Fox News. I, I admit, I still go to the Fox News website. Hey, they're selling sex on there. I scroll down. Oh, look at this. You know, I'm just being self-revelatory because I want to eliminate my, and I can't even believe I'm saying it because it sounds very prudish. And people are going to hear me say this. They're going to say, well, Professor Penn, you're really getting, you know, kind of uh, religious on us. I'm not. I just know that lurking behind those bikinis is a six-year-old sex slave. I know it, and I'm, I'm hurt about it, that I did anything to contribute to that, and we're all contributing to it. When we go to the shopping mall and we you know, see how things are advertised at the mall, we don't understand how deep that rabbit hole goes. And it just pains me. It pains me to think that those ministers back in the 60s and 70s that were decrying the uh, openness of the hippies and the sexual revolution, rock and roll music, I thought those people, and I've said this, I thought those people were pure assholes. I have to say they were right. We broke the seal. Remember the seals? The apocalyptic seals? Hey, we broke them. We did it. It wasn't supernatural. We made a choice. Like taking the seal off a bottle. Whoop! Out comes the smell. You know, we thought it was going to smell good. It doesn't smell so good. If each one of us knew how many millions of children were enslaved worldwide, how many millions of children, millions, were being abused, that's just the slavery part. That's the, that's the substrate. How about making children stupid in their educational process? How about jacking them up with 80 or so vaccinations? I just saw a new vaccination, the RSV virus. They got a new one. They jack these kids up with so many injections by the time they're 10 years old, they don't know if they're on foot or horseback. And when I say that, I mean their immune systems don't know when they're on foot or horseback. They've removed the natural way and implanted into these kids' biologies the scientific method. And they're just creating them as inventory for a lifetime. I know that. Now, we're not ready to talk about that as a society. And I have five kids, as I've said. I had to get them vaccinated. Well, can't go to school otherwise. You know, you're a protester. Who wants to? Then you got to deal with, you know, Mrs. Professor Penn. There are certain fights that are difficult to have. So I applaud any of you parents out there that just said, ah, up yours, I'm not doing it. Or the homeschoolers that are, that are altruistic enough that they homeschool their children instead of turning them over to a system that sees their children as inventory. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more um, in just a second. Uh, Tanner, could you play this uh, clip of Christine Anderson? The news that matters. Because an unelected body like WHO, who is controlled and run by multi-billionaires, should never be allowed to act in place of a democratically 
elected government. They will be exposed, each and every one of them, by name. Can you stop because that, please? What? This is Christine Anderson. She's a politician who's in the European Parliament. Uh, she's German, speaks perfect English. She's a very impressive woman. Of course, she's uh, reviled by the globalists. You know, this, this movement that you and I are involved in, that you are self-governing in, this movement is growing. We're in a very dangerous period. I've said this over and over again. These globalists know that, you know, the emperor has no clothes. These people are being exposed. Did you hear what she said? We're going to name these people by name. She's talking about the WHO, the World Health Organization. She's saying it's a tyrannical and genocidal organization, and she's going to name the people that fund it, and she's going to fight them with everything she has. Please continue. There is elections coming up, and the people might be interested in who is responsible for the abolition of democracy. The fight is on, she says. Yeah, thank you so much for coming today. And thank you, Misla, for uh, really putting in the work and making this happening today. And I really will have to say, I am so very honored to be here with seven very brave citizens who came here today to launch an initiative for a European citizens initiative. An initiative which will hopefully be accepted by the EU Commission, although I don't really hold my breath, to be quite frank, but I seriously hope we will uh, be able to do that. These seven citizens are so incredibly brave because they stand up against this despicable attempts by the globalitarian misanthropists to strip us of freedom, democracy, and the rule of law. They simply say no to the attempts of granting an unelected body governing powers. They simply say no. All right, hold and it right up here. What, what uh, this uh, very brave politician is doing is she's bringing out and exposing the World Health Organization's power grab, which is going to affect me and it's going to affect us, our community, if it is allowed to become a law here in the United States. Of course, this power grab has the full support of the Biden administration and the Democrat Party because these people are globalists. I, you know, really, the, you, know, you can say they're communists. They're not communists. They're whatever they have to do to take complete control of the earth. And they love the earth so much, they hate people. And the World Health Organization, the World Health, it sounds so great, the World Health Organization. It's the World Depopulation Organization because these people love the earth so much, they hate people. And she's fighting it. She's taken the blue pill for most of her life. Somebody fed her some red pills, and she said, oh, those red pills are good for me. All of us, in, in, and we're about the same age, all of us took the blue pill for decades. We were enculturated, enculturated. You know, we were as babies 
going for well-being checkups. You know, even when I was a baby, I remember Dr. Leonard, Dr. Leonard, Dr. Steinberg. I remember these people's names. I mean, I had to go, you know, got fondled, you know, got fondled. I mean, you know, really, some of these exams, really? Let's think about some of these exams, okay? Is this really some of these exams? We accept this? Oh, no, up yours. This is bull****. This is just making me into inventory. It made me dependent on the medical system. And in fact, they damaged me. And it took me years to regain my full function. As they damaged many people. And, they, you know, these people, you know, the Hippocratic Oath, above all else, do no harm. Someplace along the road, when the profits got big, they forgot that one. These people need to move back from narcissism to altruism. They wear white coats and stethoscopes, and we're supposed to you know, respect these people. They're not respectable. They're just not respectable. That's it. And this is how we bring back sacred honor to our professions, by just saying, hey, Dr. Asshole, you're not respectable. You know, that's where we got to go. And, of course, what our, our advanced uh, institutions like Columbia are working on, they think the doctors aren't respectable either because they talk back. They want to replace them, make all medical procedures and diagnoses part of an artificial intelligence strategy. You walk into a phone booth, you get scanned. Hey, you get a printout. Hey, here's what's going to happen to you. Hey. You know what? This thing is going to get so bad. We've got to get into the roots of it right now, which is what this brave politician is doing. Please continue. What we all should do, because this will end if we simply say no. And that's what we're here to do today. Because an unelected body like WHO, who is controlled and run by multi-billionaires, should never be allowed to act in place of a democratically elected government. Never, ever. In democracies, ladies and gentlemen, it is government of the people, by the people, for the people. And any government of anywhere in the world who disregards this fundamental principle of democracy by supporting this unprecedented power grab by WHO is an anti-democrat demonstrating nothing but his utter contempt for the people. And these seven brave citizens, they will not stand for this. You stop, please. You know, hear what she's saying. What she's saying is these people hate these multi-billionaires hate us. They hate me. Well, guess what? We don't hate you. We're just not going to let you do this to us. All we have to say, as Christina's putting on the screen here, putting on the podcast, nine, 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 nine. No, no, no. We're not doing this. Please continue. Will we? I will expose anyone, whether it's a member of a government in a member state or a government around the world 
or a member of parliament in the European member states or parliaments around the world who do not respect the people and do not respect democracy, I will see to it. They will be exposed, each and every one of them, by name. Because guess what? There is elections coming up, and the people might be interested in who is responsible. Okay, for stop it again. You know what she's saying here is she's taking personal responsibility, as am I in my range of, of, of uh, action here in Minnesota. I'm taking personal responsibility and personal agency to get some things done. But she's fronting and I'm fronting. Unless you spread out this content and we get the people, the Volk, involved. Remember Volkswagen, the people's car? We got to get the people involved in this. And they're really mostly still taking the blue pill. I mean, they're waking up a little. That's why we're in this kind of quiet time. Life's kind of seeming normal again here in Minnesota. It's not normal. They're going to come back with an even more intense effort to get control of this society, of this culture. They do not want freedom. They're anti-democrat. That's what she's saying, and I agree with her 100%, and I'd love to meet her, and I'm going to watch her career. This woman is a ball of fire. Let's keep going. Abolition of democracy. So we are here today to tell you, WHO, globalitarian misanthropists, we are here today to tell you, you picked this fight, you wanted this fight, well, guess what? You've got it. Let's fight. Because these brave citizens, my colleagues and I, we will not tire to fight you every step of the way. These brave seven citizens and millions and millions more around the world, these are the people you will have to reckon with from now on, because we are millions, millions around the world. It is you that is the small French minority. You are the ones who do not have the right to dictate to the people what they want and what they don't want. So. Take it from me, take it from us, take it from these seven citizens who gathered here today. Take it from the millions and millions of people around the world. We will bring you down and we will not tire until we have done just that. So brace yourselves, we are here and the fight is on. So let's commence with the fights. Why don't we? Thank you. That's good. It's a worldwide fight, good versus evil. There's a handful of people that are eugenicists and have the, I mean, there's many eugenicists, okay? But there's a handful 
that have the global power to implement their eugenic impulse. And if we don't rise up, if, if this community here in Minnesota and in the United States of America, because I know people are watching this throughout the country, and we just use Minnesota as, a, as an example. This is equally viable in Arkansas. It's equally viable in Kentucky, in Idaho. Uh, we have to make it happen at the precinct level, neighbor to neighbor, family member to family member. We have to come together because we're fronting now. The people like Christine and myself and the, the handful of people, there's a handful of people that have had the courage to stand up. And the, the needle's been moved a lot. You know, Tucker Carlson, I mean, there's some really big, big energy waves out there, people that are really making a wave. But unless we do it in our backyards, unless we do it peer-to-peer, unless we do it with our neighbors, they're going to kill all of us. They have every intention of doing it. They have the means to do it. And we got to work very quickly. So we have to give up the judgments. We shouldn't talk about religion and politics. We have to give up the judgments that prevent us from talking to our neighbors. Hey, most of us don't even know our neighbors. That's not an accident either. Got to get on this. We got to get on it hard. We got to give it everything we have or we're going to watch our children die. Just that simple. And they know then we got the war, okay? In the background, we got the war. We got two wars going on. We got this war, which is the ideological war between good and evil, which is being fought at the global level, as we just saw, but it's being fought right here in Minnesota, right in my backyard. You know, I'm in the party up here. There's a you know, pretty good conflict going on between those that would support the WHO and NATO and all of the apparatus of the globalists. Oh, yeah, we got them in the Republican Party. I'd say it's half the Republican Party. Got the entire Democrat Party's down with it. We got this ideological battle going on, and then there's actually a war, many wars. Got a war in the Middle East. We're on the verge of war in the South China Sea. Africa's on fire. And then we got this Ukraine drama going on. There's wars everywhere. I mean, I don't even want to fight with these assholes here in Minnesota. Such a waste of energy. And that's why they do it, to waste our energy. Because in the background, while we're killing each other, either spiritually or in reality, materially, they're just advancing their, you know, transhumanist plans. And one day soon, they're going to roll out the clone army. And we're all going to say, oh, what the hell is this? Well, they've been working on it for a long time. we got to get going in a, in a hot rush on this. Now, just in the Ukraine, since I spoke with you last, the Ukrainians can't help themselves. They again attacked the bridge that goes between Russia and Crimea, and they damaged it. That's an attack inside territorial Russia, and that's if you think Ukraine's not part of Russia, which is a very good case it is part of Russia. If you want to get there, it's up to you. But they're, you know, they're blowing shit up inside the country of Russia in the territorial borders of the Russian Federation, and who's approving that? Oh, that'd be the United States security state, and the Russians know it. I mean, they're not stupid. They know who's calling the shots. They know who's supplying the weapons. They blew up that bridge, and they damaged it, and that's the second time they've done it. That's an attack inside the agreed-upon territorial borders of the Russian Federation. You know, kind of like if the Mississippi River Bridge here in Minnesota, took a hit from Canada. Hey, we'd be pissed, wouldn't we? You know, if a bunch of people got killed in a drone attack that blew up the bridge, 
Yeah, that would piss me off. Piss me off. It really pissed me off if it was a relative of mine. I mean, this thing is just going out of control. And, of course, there's a grain deal. There was a grain deal brokered by the U.N. and the Turks between the Russians and the Ukrainians that allowed the Ukrainians to export their wheat because it's 2.2% of the global you know, food supply. And uh, guess what? What a surprise. The agreement broke down. Why? Because the Russians have made certain requests as part of keeping this grain flowing that would help their cause. And they were told, nah, keep the grain open. It's our way or the highway. And they said, nah, we're not going to do that. So now we're going to have a shortage of food. Food prices are going to go up. People are going to starve. People are going to starve. Which whose purposes did that does that serve? <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. And then here in Minnesota, while all this stuff's going on with our military supporting the Ukrainians, I got a group of military people running the Republican Party here in Minnesota, and they think it's just fantastic. We got Ukrainian flags all over the Republican Party. These people think it's just fantastic. Fantastic. Our borders are wide open. We hate each other. We're at war with ourselves, and we're going to go fight with the Ukrainians. Up, oh, getting choked up. There it goes. Right on cue. Right on cue. Well, this citizens' movement, this people's movement, we're going to talk about this in a minute, how important it is to do this correctly. This people's movement is the biggest thing. These uh, military-industrial complex devotees have ever seen in their short lives. And uh, these people are coming in from all over. They're inside the wire, so to speak. And really, these people should just re resign. And we, you know, we, we had a couple. I, I told you the Wicked Witch was dead last podcast, thank God. And, you know, I'd like to see these people just give it up. Uh, of course, they're on the payroll to not give it up, and they're going to have to be removed. And how that's going to happen is one of two ways. They might repent and join the freedom movement and we will honor them as American citizens. They would be returnees. Or we still have a democratic process here in the United States, and if you understand the importance of getting involved, and we're going to help you do it, and you go to your caucuses in 2024, you can become a delegate, and you'll have a vote, and we're going to explain the whole process to you, and you can say, who are these people? Who are these people? And you can vote for American citizens that are interested in the well-being of you and your children. Because these people aren't. They're just not. I kind of set them up. If I have time, I'm going to get to it. I want to read you a little dialogue that's banging around the campfire here so you understand how advanced this is. Not going to mention any names, of course. This is really hilarious. You're going to enjoy this. This is Mr. So-and-so. I'm the chair of so-and-so. We're not going to identify this guy. He has a professional courtesy to everybody involved. And he wrote it to a top party boss. He goes, I know that you are a very busy person, so I will keep this brief. As a committee man, a new committee man, I am just learning how things work in these arenas, and I am fairly green in so-called parliamentary procedures because, of course, they're giving us a parliamentary suppository. So he doesn't get it. It doesn't seem to make sense to him. So I've been hanging back and observing the goings-on in the various chats and email circles that I am privy to. But as a veteran and a patriot, I know and I have sworn an oath. Let me try again because 
This is beautiful. I know and I have sworn an oath to the Constitution of the United States and to uphold the values contained within. I take this blood oath very seriously and I will defend my country to my death if necessary. So, in my browsings, I've come across a rather alarming chain of emails between other members about the new clubhouse rules that the committee and yourself have conjured up and apparently instituted recently. Now, I may not be a well-educated man, but it doesn't take a genius to see that these rules give totalitarian power to yourself and your cronies, and this total control is not only unconstitutional, but it violates Robert's rules of orders in many ways. This and your need for secrecy of the meetings, it's more like you're looking to the Schiff Pelosi manual as how to run things. And I'm going to break into this beautiful letter and say, yes, these people, they don't know it. But they're Democrats. They're useful idiots. They're just Democrats. I want them to repent and join the party of Lincoln. I want them to repent and join the party of Lincoln. But right now, they're following the Pelosi playbook. Interesting, isn't it? If I am speaking out of turn, forgive me. I am new here and I'm not sure how to get to the top of this jungle gym yet. But I thought it important to rise up and call out some real bull when I smelled it. Lastly, I'll say this. If you want unity in the party, honesty and transparency must be the order, not secret meetings and clubs. That will only serve to further the balkanization of the people and the volunteers we so desperately need to win. Isn't that fantastic? That's just fantastic. I salute you for your letter, and I hope it moves the needle. You've beautifully written from the heart. Um, I find it much more refreshing than the academically inclined people who spew out manipulations like the Pharisees and the hypocrites. Same people, just a few years down the road. You know, 2,000 years ago, they were doing the same thing, the Pharisees and the hypocrites. They were using parliamentary procedure to stop faith. That's what these people are doing. I wonder if they know they're just like the Pharisees and the hypocrites. I wonder if they know that. But they are. That's who they are. That's who they are. Most of them are military. Many of them are attorneys. Professional assholes. And don't take it personally if you're listening to me. It's not personal. This is show business. But you keep serving me up belt-high fastballs at 45 miles an hour. Of course I'm going to drive it out of the park. You're acting ridiculously. Come into the fold of the American citizen. Stop fighting the change that the American people want. Stop supporting internationalist structures that are anti-democratic, as Christine said in that beautiful video. Understand you're either a useful idiot or a complete raging Satanist. I don't know which. I don't care. I don't care. The result is the, is the same. However, I'm inviting you to join a freedom movement that's going to protect our children. And I'm going to get back to you at the, you know, one of the next podcasts. Tonight at a big meeting. It's a big meeting. Big. These people hate each other. It's just an incredible conflict. And mostly I stay out of it because I'm focused on talking to my neighbors talking to you. Isn't this cool? I don't have to fight with these people. I don't want to. It's a waste of energy. 
I don't want to waste my energy on fruitless arguing. I want to spend my energy becoming friends with you and with Tanner. Tanner, am I, am I getting into your head at all with all these podcasts? Just a tiny bit. You know, I'm going to keep working on him. He's a different generation. But i got to get into these people's heads because we have to form this freedom movement or we're going to be in big trouble. But Tanner, you know what I'm going to propose tonight? That our Republican Party in Minnesota put its efforts into protecting children. Do you have a child? Would you like to have a party that was 100% dedicated to protecting the future of your daughter's life? Wouldn't you like that? be better than low taxes and low regulations, wouldn't it? See? See? Now, Tanner, I don't think as a Republican, he's too young to be like that. But when I say to him, hey, you got a daughter, how about if I protect her? Oh, he likes that. Hey, you guys, you know, Mr. <laughs> Mr. We don't do that here. Uh, Mr. History doesn't matter. And, you know, Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. Hey, listen to the people. They like protecting children. Well, let's talk about how they're going to take Professor Penn and make him into an asshole. They're going to call me an anti-Semite, which is hilarious because I'm Jewish. And how are they going to do that? How are they going to do that? Well, they're going to go back to previous populist movements. We just talked about the, 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 the line of Catholics that came up because the Pope went Nazi in the 30s and 40s, and it spawned this kind of Catholic anti-Semitic movement, first Father Coughlin, and then we had uh, Senator Pat McCarran. Oh, he was a beaut. And then we had Joe McCarthy, and they were, you know, producing kind of a, a very, um, a very anti-Semitic and probably racist kind of a politics that was about, uh, you know, Irish Catholic, you know, supremacy, trying to make a constituency. It was a way for them to get off the bench with the Jews and the blacks and take a seat at the big boys' table. Oh, and they took the shot. They took the shot. And now, you know, when we have these populist movements, like we have our, our movement as a populist movement, if you listen to, you know, MSNBC or CNN, oh, these people, oh, they're white supremacists. They're anti-Semites, anti-Semites. RFK Jr. made a, uh, you know, uh, recited some scientific research about the COVID was, you know, scientifically researched, and there was a theory that it was targeted towards um whites and blacks and was less virulent among Asians and, uh, and Ashkenazi Jews. Oh, they're painting him with the anti-Semitic brush today. Can't say that. Can't say the truth, I guess. <laughs> well, why are they able to get away with this? Well, the one of the most recent examples, somebody I saw with my own two eyes, George Wallace, governor of Alabama, a defender of segregation, an apartheid person, a person with a deep kind of, uh, you know, racism. He, kind of rec he represented the racist wing of the Democrat Party, the Dixiecrats. And as I said, when Johnson decided to put the black community on the new Democrat plantation, hey, those Dixiecrats, they were Democrats, but that far they could not go. That they could not do. They broke off and they formed their own thing. They actually all became Republicans, which is really hilarious. Let's just listen to George Wallace, little trip down memory lane. George Wallace, Segregation Forever. Oh, this is really a famous speech. Today, I have stood where once Jefferson Davis stood and took an oath to my people. It is very appropriate that from this cradle of the Confederacy, this very heart 
of the great Anglo-Saxon Southland, that today we sound the drum for freedom, as have our generation of forebears before us done time and again down through history. Let us rise to the call of freedom-loving blood that is in us and send our answer to the tyranny that clanks its chains upon the South in the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth. I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny, and I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. Okay, we're going to have to listen to this again, and we're going to have to stop after certain phrases. Hit it again. It's so rich with, with, with uh, content. One more time, please. Can you get that up? Here we go. Today... I have stood where once Jefferson Davis stood. Stop. And took an oath. He stood where once Jefferson Davis stood. He was the president of the Confederacy. Let's continue. To my people, it is very appropriate that from this cradle of the Confederacy. Stop. The cradle of the Confederacy. I mean, this, this is not that long ago. If you're young, you don't realize that in my lifetime, I actually heard this live and in color. Live and in color, you're getting a little trip down memory lane. I mean, these people weren't really ready to give up the Confederacy. Let's continue. This very heart of the great Anglo-Saxon Southland. Oh, stop. The great Anglo-Saxon heartland. Man, these, you know, like I said, these people can't help themselves. They actually write it down. Can you believe he's saying this? The Anglo-Saxon heartland. And, you know, the Anglo-Saxon these were the people that, uh, you know, were the enslavers. Let's continue. That today we sound the drum for freedom, as have our generation of forebears before us done time and again down through history. Stop. You know what these people are saying is, these people are really eugenicists, okay? Their idea is survival of the fittest. If I'm strong enough as an Anglo-Saxon enslaver to enslave you, hey, must be correct. This is how this guy's mind is working. And all these people, are, I don't see any black people in the crowd. Please continue. Let us rise to the call of freedom-loving blood that is in us. Oh, stop. Oh, it's in the blood. Freedom-loving blood. I mean, this has got every. this speech has got everything you need to know about what not to say and what not to think. We need to get by this. This is, this is something incredible. Continue, please. Now, to the tyranny that clanks its chains upon the South in the name of the greatest people that have ever trod this earth. Stop. The Anglo-Saxons, the racists, the enslavers, the greatest people to ever trod this earth. There it is. Calvinist Protestantism. Or as George Romney said, Lilywhite Protestantism. These people, hey, guess where these people are all hanging out today? They're all Republicans. <laughs> Whoa! Hey, that's just cool, isn't it? Continue, please. I draw the line in the dust and toss the gauntlet before the feet of tyranny, and I say segregation now, segregation tomorrow, and segregation forever. That's good. So what happened was the Democrat Party fractured. They went off into the wilderness, and uh, George Wallace led this merry band of the greatest people that, you know, it's hilarious. These were the greatest people that ever lived. Enslavers, people that believed that they were the, you know, the only chosen ones. 
I guess they got it from the Jews. Give them a break. They were just fighting back. Anyhow, they all became Republicans. I mean, Nixon, recognizing that these folks had been run off, he started to call them the silent majority. And, uh, you know, there was a change in the guard. The South went Republican. And these people are the Repu- they're the backbone of the Republican Party now. The backbone. Silent majority first. Then the more moral majority under uh, Jerry Falwell. These people are the backbone of the Republican Party. And I'm going to tell you, having been a Republican now for two years, and not knowing that these people were up here in Minnesota, I'm going to tell you straight up, this is the deal. Our people's movement is hindered by this kind of thinking. How do we ever get the black and Hispanic youth vote, liberate them from the you know, really bondage that they're in to the Democrat Party? How do we liberate them and bring them back into the world of freedom when our party's full of enslavers? Well, I'll tell you how we're going to do it. I'm clipping these people out. I got two on my... My, the fuselage of my political plane has two decals for two people that I've taken out, and there's going to be more. Why? Because we're telling the truth. All we're doing is telling the truth, and the truth has a very clarifying effect. Try it. It's wonderful. Let's listen to how Governor Wallace operationalized these ideas. Do You see this one, Wallace Stops Integration of the University of Alabama? Wallace stops integration of U of A. Let's listen to that one. Guard of state police as Governor George Wallace appeals for calm and prepares to confront a deputy U.S. attorney. The federal officers are armed with a proclamation from President Kennedy urging the governor to end his efforts to prevent two Negro students from registering at the university. The governor is adamant. He made a campaign promise to stand in the doorway himself to prevent the integration of the last all-white state university. After the federal officers leave, there's a lull of several hours while President Kennedy federalizes the Alabama National Guard and they move to the campus. Brigadier General Henry Graham arrives to tell the governor, it's my sad duty to ask you to step aside on orders of the President of the United States. The governor yields to federal authority, but promises to continue what he terms a constitutional fight. There was no untoward incident at any time during this confrontation of state and federal authority. Five minutes after the governor leaves, James Hood is the first of his race to become a University of Alabama student. He is followed into the registrar's office by Vivian Malone. Both the students are 20 years old and will take summer courses. From the White House that evening, President Kennedy makes an appeal to the nation. He says that the U.S. is facing a moral crisis and that it is the duty of all to uphold the law. Fires of frustration and discord are burning in every city, north and south, where legal remedies are not at hand. Redress is sought in the streets, in demonstrations, parades, and protests which create tensions and threaten violence and threaten lives. We face, therefore, a moral crisis as a country and a people. We have a right to expect that the Negro community will be responsible, will uphold the law, but they have a right to expect that the law will be fair, that the Constitution will be colorblind, as Justice Harlan said at the turn of the century. This is what we're talking about, and this is a matter which concerns this country 
and what it stands for. And in meeting it, I ask the support of all of our citizens. Thank you very much. You know, that's, uh, if you're young, that's your grandparents' generation. If you're a little bit older, that's your mother and father. These people are in a secret society. The Ku Klux Klan was part of this deal. They were Anglo-Saxons. They was wrapped into their Calvinist Protestantism. This didn't go away. These people are just hiding. They're hiding and looking to make a comeback. You know, when you start having this idea, it's the greatest people that ever tread the earth. Hey, that means everybody else is subject to genocide. That's who these folks are. And I'll tell you, I've run into them right in my backyard. Right, I just got rid of a wicked witch myself. She's part of this group. I, I think she knows it. This one, she knows it. A more racist, anti-Semitic person I've never personally had to deal with. But I don't have to deal with her anymore. Because the truth, the truth of our Constitution that we're all created equal, they got to deal with this now. They get a chance to repent. They get a chance to change their evil ways. They get a chance to turn around. We've all done that to some degree. Why would I deny it to a racist? I'm not going to deny it to them. They can see the light. They can recognize that this kind of thinking is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Oh, they must be going crazy. You know, I have to say, I'm not for unrestricted immigration because I want to have a country. But the fact that they've opened the border and these people just feel overrun by brown people, there is a little bit of a justice in this, right? Right? There is a little justice in it because they can't stop this. Just like the Republican Party in Minnesota can't stop the people's movement here in Minnesota. You know, it's a, kind of the, it's kind of payback. It's kind of what they deserve for spending so many decades holding on to racist and anti-Semitic views and making it all about the money and getting all the benefits for themselves and leaving people struggling in the streets. Ah, you know, up yours. It's not even worth talking about. What's worth talking about is how we're going to organize the people and get this country going in the right direction, which is the well-being of the people. Let's just see how smooth Wallace was because we have to understand, and this is why I'm sharing this with you, we're a people's movement. We're being thwarted with allegations of anti-Semitism and racism because previous populist movements, and Wallace was a populist, Previous populist movements were racist and anti-Semitic. That's why we got to get these racist and these anti-Semitic people out of this movement. We can't lose this battle or we're going to be killed. This is the final, this is the final scene in this part of the play. We got to get this right. We can't let our movement be besmirched by being racist or anti-Semitic or xenophobic or homophobic. We can't do it because we believe in our Constitution, right? All men and women are created equal. Let's see how smooth this guy was. This guy was a great politician. I mean, I actually quote him. He said a lot of smart things. He just was discredited by being a racist. On Kennedy's death, 57 seconds, about how beautiful he could be as a politician, how appropriate Governor, do you have a statement to make on your arrival here at Washington? Well, other than to say that I, I'm sure that I speak for all the people of Alabama when I say that we are deeply grieved and saddened by this uh, uh, taking of the life of the President of the United States. Uh, this has been truly an attack on the American system and on the American people, and it's truly a sad day, and uh, we in Alabama are grieving 
about the loss of the President of the United States. As a Southerner, I imagine you're proud to see a fellow Southerner now take the reins of office. Well, I do not want to mention anything about politics because this matter transcends all political considerations <clears throat> at this time, and all I can say is it's a sad day. Have you been in touch with President Johnson? No, I haven't been in President. I, I don't think that we should, uh, I don't want to say anything about political considerations at all, other than to say that it's a sad day uh, when the President of the United States has had his life taken away from him. Pretty cool, huh? Great politician. But then he pops up a little bit later, down the road, campaigning in Florida against forced busing. Let's, you see that one, uh, campaigning in Florida against busing? Let's get a little flavor for what, what's the history. And, of course, he, you know, he spoke so glowingly of President Kennedy, who was an Irish Catholic. The Anglo-Saxons, these people didn't like each other. They hated Kennedy. But let's go ahead and listen to the busing thing in Florida. This is really interesting. This is not that long ago, you young people. This is your country. We got film of this. This is on film. Play this for us, please, Tanner. This is one Florida, palm trees and luxury yachts, an expensive winter playground for the retired and the rich. But behind this facade, there's another poorer and more populous Florida, a rural Florida that's still very much a part of the old Deep South. This other Florida, like the rest of the Deep South, is largely enthusiastic Wallace country. So, in a crowded race, their candidate, 52-year-old George Wallace, is expected to run an easy first in the Democratic primary election, well ahead of national frontrunners like Senators Ed Muskie and Hubert Humphrey, and New York's Mayor John Lindsay. Wallace's big issue this year is his opposition to school busing to achieve racial integration. In his speeches, he's still the same old right-wing demagogue who won 10 million votes in the presidential election of 1968, still making the same attacks on what he calls his opponent's liberalism. What did this liberalism do? It brought us dope addiction in the street, the breakdown of law and order. And when you pick up a paper on a college campus, they use four-letter words. And they say you can walk, march in the streets and call for the communists, what? To defeat our own servicemen. And what do they call that? You know, these intellectual boneheads, they call it academic freedom. But the average man calls it treason when people make speeches in the country calling for victory of the communist or the American servicemen. Interesting, huh? Playing Dixie down there in Florida. It's not that long ago. It's not that There's film, evidence. Just for fun, can you play this Wallace on states' rights piece? I, mean, I really want you to get a good dose of George Wallace, very complex figure. Had some interesting things to say. Wallace on states' rights, please. We are defending the right of the people of Virginia and of Alabama to decide some questions for themselves. And if you folks who have had some liberals to tell you about the Constitution, let me suggest that you go to your library and you read the debates in the Constitutional Convention of the state of Virginia and you read the debates in the Constitutional Convention of the state of New York and of New Hampshire and of the original 13 states, and you will find that not a single one of the states wanted to come into the Union until first they were guaranteed that we were going to have a government of limited powers, that all powers not delegated to the government expressly would be lodged and kept with the people of Virginia and of New York and of New Jersey. 
And in the debates in New Jersey and New York, they said, we've got particular and peculiar problems in New York, and we want the right to determine those ourselves. And so they wouldn't even come into the union until first they agreed to put the first 10 amendments in the Constitution. And so those in the Constitutional Conventions sound exactly like we in Alabama sound, and sound exactly like many of you who are here today sound, and are completely foreign in their attitude to those today who are interpreting the Constitution of our country. See, this is why they're going to uh, use allegations of racism and anti-Semitism against the populist movement, because we're talking about neighbor-to-neighbor, peer-to-peer, grassroots, by precinct, political organizing. Oh, the federal government hates that. This fight about states' rights, it's really about who's governing the country. Are we the people practicing self-governance, or are we being ruled by rulers? So, you know, this is complex. I mean, George Wallace was a complex man. I could make those same comments that he just made about states' rights, and I believe that he was right. That's why that uh, slavery issue and the, the apartheid issue is so thorny, just like the abortion issue is so thorny. But really, if we don't have states' rights, we don't have individual rights. If we don't have states' rights, we don't have neighborhood rights. It's about getting the governance of the country as close to our neighborhoods as we can because we've seen the result of aggregating power in Washington, a permanent military-industrial complex that sucks up $1.5 trillion a year, a permanent medical-industrial complex that sucks up $1.5 trillion a year, mass dependency on the government across all segments of our society, the verge of nuclear war in three theaters, and we're $33 trillion in debt. I mean, this is the, the outcome of their work, and I'm going to say it's not an accident because they know they can aggregate even more power, or as Winston Churchill said, and was picked up later by Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. So these people are great at creating crises, scaring the hell out of us, and then coming up with a solution. Ah, we need to govern ourselves. And in this case, and every time I say this, I have to say I'm horrified by it, I agree with George Wallace. I agree with it. I'm going to play a fun one, just to let you know what a great sense of humor this guy had. He was a great politician. Wallace confronts protesters, please. Oh, they're giving the Sieg Heil. But they mean free speech only if you let them speak. They don't want anybody else to speak. And I tell you... Governor Wallace used to just love to use the long-haired hippie agitators, the, the folks who were out in the front lines of the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement. I love you too, I sure do. I thought you were a she, you a he, oh my goodness. The folks that he felt like his constituency uh, uh, just really disliked the most, you know. And when he was in California, a group of anarchists lay down in front of his automobile and threatened his personal safety, the president of the United States. Well, I want to tell you, if you would elect me the president, and I go to California, well, I come to Arkansas, and some of them lie down in front of my automobile. It'll be the last one they'll ever want to lie down in front of. 
did when I said in the beginning, you fellas better have your day now because you're through later on. I got that much. Uh, that would be the kind of pictures that we would want. Well, just keep on. You get me a million votes every time you show up. I tell you that much. When that would be on television, and particularly back home in the South. Come up here after I've completed my speech and I'll autograph your sandals for you. People would just want to just leave the cotton fields early in the afternoon and get to the television and send whatever dollars they had right into the campaign headquarters. And by doing that, we were able to finance the campaign. And I tell you what, I may not teach you any politics if you'll listen, but I'll teach you some good manners. I'll teach you some good manners, you know. I'll teach you some good manners. Setting the woods on fire. That's good, thank you. That's just, you know, giving you a little taste of what uh, some of us lived through. But I'm going to tell you what it culminates in. We had a a congresswoman here, Michelle Bachman. She was a pretty bright light. She was in CD6, replaced by uh, our wonderful Tom Emmer. And watch her get broad, 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 watch her get broad brushed with these allegations of being tied up with these racist and anti-Semitic movements. And we'll move on. Michelle Bachman, please. How many people in the Congress of the United States do you think are anti-American? You've already suspected Barack Obama. Is he alone or are there others? How many do you suspect well, of your I, colleagues I as being anti-American? What I would say, what I would say is that the news media should do a penetrating expose and take a look. I wish they would. I wish the American media would take a great look at the views of the people in Congress and find out are they pro-America or anti-America. I think people would be would love to see an expose like to that. Slowly dig out and expose to the public view those who would destroy this nation. Now you will see. You are seeing today an all-out attempt to marshal the forces of the opposition, using not merely the communists, but the fellow travelers, the deluded liberals, the eggheads, and some of my good friends in both the Democrat and Republican Party, who can become heroes overnight in the eyes of the left-wing press if they will join in the... Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? That was um, Chris Wallace. He was on NBC. He was a very, very noteworthy um, newscaster and commentator, and he was interviewing Michelle Bachman from here in Minnesota, and she was definitely a proto-Trump MAGA-type person, and she's still quite conservative, and she's still very prominent. She's just out of politics. And they just, because she was saying, well, let's investigate, you know, who these people are, they compared her to McCarthy, who was, uh, you know, broad-brushed as an anti-Semite. And they, you know, ended up with Have You No Shame, which was the, the great end of the McCarthy era. They just brought McCarthy down. He may have he may have deserved it, but like Wallace, many of his ideas were very good. He was just an easy target. 
He was an Irish Catholic. He was in that proto-Nazi Catholic movement that was started with Father Coughlin and it went to McCarran and it went to McCarthy, those Irish Catholics, and they had that anti-Semitism. And, you know, there was just it was easy to knock them down. Wallace, he was a racist. It was easy to knock them down. But what they were saying was the people need to govern this country. So when the people rise up and govern the country, you know, if we do it with racism and anti-Semitism, we're going to get knocked down again. And that's what the last several podcasts have been about. It's been about making the party about we the people and sticking with what we know to be the truth. I mean, we just got to get with the program. We got to be with the program. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and all men and women are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. You know, we got to stick on that. We got to stick on that as if our life depends on it, because it does. And anybody that gets in the way of this now, that gives the left an opportunity to discredit the people by being racist or anti-Semitic, you're part of the left. You're their useful idiots, and you got to go. So please repent and join the freedom movement and let's get together and protect our children. Now, I just want to end with something here. We're going to go through another kind of long media piece. This is called Cracks in the Wall. Cracks in the Wall. This is from The Hill. A more liberal media outlet could not be found. And they're going to talk, and I'm going to get as much of this as we can in, about the recent revelations about the Biden administration colluding with big tech to censor American citizens and how wrong this is. It's very interesting because The Hill is no right-wing uh, you know, media outlet. It's owned by Nexstar Group, and it's a extremely liberal. I mean, it's leftist, actually. And if you look at who they give money to and how they run their business, for them to come out like this, this is cracks in the wall. This is people hedging their bets and putting some betting on both sides of the bar. Let's go out with this, and we'll stop it. We'll comment as we go along, okay? Well, we covered earlier today how a federal judge blocked Biden administration officials from telling the federal government to influence social media companies. Here's what The New York Times had to say about that. One headline read, GOP threatens spy agency's surveillance tool. Yes, it actually said that. The subhead reading, with hard right Republicans attacking federal law enforcement agencies and unwilling to extend their broad powers, a major warrantless surveillance program targeting foreigners overseas may face new limits from Congress. Oh, no, not that. Here's some more reactions. This one was from CNN. This is what really is astonishing to me. This is a conservative ideology that clearly comes through in this decision. It's a conservative political ideology, right? We saw some of the quotes questioning vaccines, questioning masks, conservative talking points. But the ruling itself is the opposite of judicial conservatism. This is one of the most aggressive, far-reaching rulings you'll ever see. What this judge is purporting to do is to micromanage, really, the day-to-day -day interactions between essentially the entire executive branch, all these agencies that are listed as defendants, and the leading social media companies. And in Stop the right there, please. That's not activist. This is the most tyrannical, most anti-American, anti-constitutional thing that's happened in my, in, you know, in recent years. The government colluding with private industry to censor and deplatform people. It's so anti, 
everything that I believe in, everything that you believe in, everything that goes on here at Free People Radio, this is what we're fighting. And listen to this guy. I mean, these people, you know, when I see things like this, I just know this guy is either a Satanist or an idiot. Can't tell which. Don't care. Don't care. Why I say Satanist? I'm not saying he's necessarily participating in satanic ritual, but he's supporting an ideology that's eugenicist because the eugenicist ideology is fighting people like me and the freedom movement, people like you, who want to just make life good for the American people. That's all we're doing, and these people are trying to shut that down. Oh, you know what up yours. Let's keep going. Actual temporary injunction, the judge basically says, you're not allowed, administration, to talk to these social media companies about any protected free speech except for cybersecurity threats, national security threats, criminal threats. But where's the line? Who's going to police this? This is a judge trying to micromanage the day-to-day regular activities of the entire executive branch. I don't know that it's actually policeable by the judge, but it's really an astonishing... It's, I don't mean this necessarily as a criticism. This is a very activist judicial opinion. Sarah, you know, I think Elliot's the point that I... Then, of course, there was also this reaction on MSNBC. Let's play it. I think that, you know, you have to take a step back and acknowledge what the reality is about how the FBI has been interacting with this. And just look at January 6th itself, for example, right? It's not as though the FBI has been going in and saying, hey, take down this post, hey, take down this post. That's what they're alleging, but there's just not a lot of evidence to support that. And basically, we've had a situation where some politicians are making any contact between social media companies and the FBI or law enforcement seem problematic in some way. And if you look at the reality, it's like the FBI is not very good at monitoring social media. Just look at what happened on January 6th. Oh, stop. Yeah, they're not very good at monitoring it. I mean, this guy, you want to talk about wholesale lying. Not very good at it. They're running it. They're running social media. And he's saying, well, they didn't take down posts for January 6th. You know what? There's a good line of uh, reasoning that says they encouraged January 6th. The the bull runs so deep, it's just, you know, when I hear people like this, I feel like I need to take a shower. Look at this guy. Please continue. All of these warning signs, red flags going up all over the place, and they weren't prepared. They didn't do enough. They did not take proper precautions or instruct other law enforcement agencies to take proper precautions. So I think that that's the framework you have to remember that this is important to look by. I mean, this opinion, this 55, uh, 155 Stop, page. Let us remember that President Trump was screaming for uh, uh, more law enforcement before January 6th, and he's bragging that, uh, boy, they're not good at it. No, they were very good at it. You know, if you, do you know where they put locks on doors? I mean, really, why is there a lock on your door? It's to keep honest people from stealing. That lock's not going to stop any criminals. Only your handgun will. And this is just preposterous the way this guy is talking. They left the front door open. They left the front door open on January 6th. They left it open. Of course, good people came in. And now they're going to go to jail for a very long time, these people. And I'm not saying it was right what they did. I know if I was there, I wouldn't have gone in the Capitol. I'd have said, hey, Tanner, this is getting out of control. Let's go back to the hotel and have a drink. That's what I would have said. These people are out of their minds. Okay, but the security state knows that people are out of their minds because they drive them out of their minds. you got to really stay centered in this game. Let's continue. 
opinion starts off with a, essentially a big if true comment. It says, <laughs> okay, if these things are true, this is one of the biggest First Amendment abuses in American history. And I suppose so, if it were true, but that's not necessarily where the facts are lining up with and how exactly, what exactly the evidence shows that uh, social media companies, how they were interacting with at least the FBI. Stop, please. Yeah, you can look at anything. For, there's always two. Remember my metaphor? There's a car accident. There's four corners. You got four different reports of what happened in the accident. This guy's looking at it and he's saying, oh, the government and social media, they're incompetent. They didn't even coordinate to prevent January 6th. They didn't take the social media post down. I see, oh, they posted it up and they encouraged a riot. And there's good evidence that's coming out to support that. So this isn't, you know, he's kind of being bold here going after this one. You know, but, hey, they're bold. And, you know, the viewership, I mean, this is on MSNBC, they're talking to people that, you know, I need my blue pill in my morning. I take my second blue pill with lunch. I'm taking my blue pill at dinner, and I'm taking two blue pills at night so I sleep good. These people are the blue pill brigade. These people are f brain dead. Go ahead, please. Danny, I wonder... When I mean, there are a lot of people just sticking their, sand, their head in the sand here. Uh, there was pervasive evidence of direct contact between the FBI and other agencies asking for content takedowns on matters that were political parodies about the election and other things. Um, obviously, we famously have tons of former law enforcement, top national security officials saying that this, the laptop is misinformation. And then there's so much, like in the, dis again, they're just claiming these things don't exist. This, and then it's not just the FBI. Like, I don't mean to just right. pick on them. It's the CDC, it's the agency. Again, how do you get around? This is an email from Rob Flaherty, deputy assistant to the president, President Joe Biden, that says, um, uh, on, a, on this parody account linked to Finnegan Biden, Hunter Biden's daughter, President Biden's granddaughter, it says, cannot stress the degree to which this needs to be resolved immediately. Please remove this count immediately. It was suspended 45 minutes later. Yeah, I mean, so... That's good. That's good. So, you know, this young man, he's liberal. I mean, he's just liberal. He's a liberal leftist Democrat. And even he has just gone, come on, this is ridiculous. Because, you know, to be a liberal, to be a leftist, does not necessarily mean you're without sacred honor. This guy is standing up. He's on the hill. He's probably risking his job talking like this. I'm going to spare you his uh, his co-anchor because she just goes off in the other direction. There's no re reason to end the podcast with her trying to rein him in. He's just looked at the facts and he's saying, hey, this was collusion. This was anti-democratic. It's anti-constitutional. The facts are in. You can't argue this was what he's saying. He's saying that the government colluded to suppress free speech, to damage human beings, to manipulate people. I mean, it's just obvious that they did it, and there's still people making the case that they didn't do it. Because why? If you're taking your news from Fox News, Wall Street Journal, MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, you know, the Chicago Tribune, I mean, the whole range of the legacy media you're just listening to a curated narrative which is one blue pill after another one blue pill after another that's just that's why we're doing this it's truth media truth media plus the patriot economy equals freedom i want to thank you for joining me you know some of these uh, podcasts are a little more fiery some of them are a little bit more 
historical. Today we went into the history for one reason. Our movement must be without an easy, we can't give them any easy shots at us. That's why Royce is such an important political figure. They can't call him a, a white supremacist. It's, ri it's ridiculous. That's why it's so important that we make our movement without these isms of the past. And on that note, I want to thank you for joining. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you soon again. I'm doing a lot of uh, hosting on Please Call Me Crazy this week. Royce is off playing basketball. You can catch me at, uh, it, at Please Call Me Crazy on uh, Wednesday night and Thursday night. Thanks very much for watching. And we're going to go out with a beautiful piece of music just because it's uplifting. Because with all of this you-know-what that's going on, let's have something that's really wonderful. Thanks, Tanner, for taking us out. Thank you.